right, thank you for that special. We appreciate that. And uh, thank you for being here today. We enjoyed all that singing. Isn't that good? I enjoy the hymns, and and, uh, I'm sure you do as well. And it's always a blessing to just uh, let the Lord speak to our hearts through song and uh, through the beautiful music. I appreciate all of that. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God to Acts chapter 2. Spend a little time in the fellowship of the Word. Acts chapter 2, and um, looking forward to seeing what the Lord has for us today. I trust your week has gone well, but it's always good to hear from the Lord and get a little wisdom from His Word to carry into this next week. Today's Sunday, right? So the first day of the week, so you have started the week off right being right here in the house of God, and we appreciate that. And I know God is going to lead you forward uh, with, what you, with what He gives you today, and uh, that's always a good thing, and we praise the Lord for that. Acts chapter 2, if you found your place, we're going to stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll open in prayer, and then I'll begin reading in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. So let's pray together. Father, how we love you today, and how we thank you for the precious privilege that we have to hold the Word of God in our hands. We certainly thank you for that, Lord, and as we look into the pages of Scripture, we do ask, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd just be our teacher and guide, Lord, that you would bring instruction, encouragement, uh, conviction where it's needed, Lord, that you might teach us and grow us, shape us into the people you'd have us to be. We just ask you to have your will and way through the Word of God this morning to encourage and touch our hearts as you see fit, and we do thank you in advance, Lord, for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Acts chapter 2, look at verse 42, if you would. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Verse 47 is a great conclusion to that passage, is it not? It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. This morning I want to preach a message entitled, The Effort of the first century church. You may be seated. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we see here the effort that the first century church put forth. This was the first church, by the way. We know that the church was founded by Jesus Christ and His disciples and then was empowered at Pentecost. And we're seeing God moving and blessing what what He is calling the church, what we know to be the church today. And the Bible uses that word there in verse 47. God added to the church daily. But notice he did it through those people. He did it through uh, the individuals who were a part of it as they took their part, as they participated. What we see in Acts chapter 2 is the functions of a healthy church. And as we look there, let's ask God to, to allow this to be a mirror that we might see ourselves a little bit and what we are to do, what God would have us to do to make his church strong and well in these days in which we live. In the early days of the church growth, we see the disciples giving great effort 
as they work with these who are new to the Christian faith. In these verses alone, we can find a great deal of work taking place to mature these new converts, these new believers, helping them to find their place in the church family. Now, we call it assimilation. We can call it discipleship. There's a lot of terms that we use in reference to what's happening in Acts chapter 2. What we have to see here is that in between these verses, there's a lot of work going on. There's a lot of structure. There's a lot of organization. There's some strategy there. And we find busy as bees, they're all taking their part, doing well. And because of that, we have a seamless integration of these 3,000 new believers that were brought into the family of God and who made part of this local church family. And it just seems as they were received and assimilated without a hitch. And I believe it's because everyone did their part. As we look at this first century church, I want us to notice first this morning the effort they made in edifying others. Edification is one of the uh, functions of a healthy church. It's, it's one of the missions that you and I are supposed to be a, about accomplishing together as a church family. The Bible says in verse 42, if you'd look at it there, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Notice here, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine is where it begins. This is where uh, that, that effort to edify comes in. Because the truth is, this morning, you and I, we really have very shallow words when it comes to edifying others, building up others. Uh, you know, in our own human experience, we just don't have a lot to offer. But thank God, through His Word, when we give the doctrine of God, when we give the teachings of Scripture when we can show others the way of the Lord, now that is something that really serves to edify them well. That is lasting encouragement in their life. That is uh, eternal equipping that goes on when we share the Word of God with others as we've learned it ourselves. We see this passage tells us that the disciples did this. Notice, they continued to do this. You know, it's interesting that sometimes we start well. But to imply that we start well also implies we don't always finish well. Not only did the disciples start well, but the Bible uses that, that strong word there. They continued. It wasn't just about doing it once, but doing it over and over and over again. And they saw the importance of that. They saw the power in staying by the stuff, in being faithful to do what God had called them to do. But notice the next word, as if that wasn't strong enough. They continued how? Steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. They were faithful to do these things, these things that brought edification to others. They were doing them on purpose, and they were doing them well. The Bible says they were doing them continually, and they were doing them consistently. You know, we sometimes talk about discipleship. We, we talk about this process in our, in our churches, and, and we use the, the expression sometimes that people fall through the cracks. But as I read in Acts chapter 2, I don't see any. And I'm in awe that we have such a few number of servants and so many to be served, yet there were no cracks for them to fall through. Wow, I'm just amazed 
amazed at their diligence. They took these new believers from discipleship to maturity. Think about that. Who took you from discipleship to maturity? Who edified you? Who encouraged you? Who taught you? Who who picked you up and brought you to church? Who called to remind you? Who opened their Bible and shared truth with you? Think about that. From discipleship to maturity. When I think about the span of that distance, I often feel in my own life, well, I don't know, maybe there's some gaps in there. I don't feel like I was brought from discipleship all the way to maturity. As I look back across my own life, I can't help but see and wonder, I think, I think we missed some things. How about you? Anybody else feel like that? I think the reason for that is because we don't have a complete process from discipleship to maturity. And rare do you find a believer in our day that'll stick with somebody and take them all the way. Right? If the Christian life is a journey, then there ought to be, there ought to be mild markers. There ought to be signs along the way, and there ought to be a way to, to give directions. There ought to be a way to know our location. But you know, it seems like today that we're navigating people through the Christian life for the first time. And that's not the case. Discipleship's been taking place for over 2,000 years. But we're still struggling, aren't we? These disciples, when I look at Acts chapter 2, it's just almost amazing. I see their effort. I see their faithfulness, their consistency. I see the depth of what they're doing. And I'm just in awe. Praise God for their good example. No wonder this is caught and captured in Scripture. God showing us how it ought to be done. God showing us some people who did it well. I don't know about you, but when it comes to serving the Lord, I want to serve well, don't you? From discipleship to maturity. Notice, we must serve, in order, in order to complete that, we must serve milk for the spiritually young. But we also must serve meat for the spiritually mature. Let me show you a couple of verses along those lines. Would you turn to 1 Peter with me? 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and then verse 2. Notice what the Bible says about the milk of the word. It says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Now notice, if you would, the punctuation. After the word babes, there is a what? A comma. So Peter here is giving instruction to believers. He's teaching them something about themselves. You know, we have to remember. We have to be reminded, do we not? To help other people with this also. Maybe even help ourselves sometimes. Notice what he said. As newborn babes, the word implied is you. But instead we have a comma. So the implication is you desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? That you may grow thereby. That's an interesting word of instruction, isn't it? 
Because sometimes it seems like we just think that if a person's really saved by the grace of God, we say, bless God, if they got a good dose of it, (laughs) they would want to come to church. They would want to hear his word. But that's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, desire the sincere milk of the word. Why, Why do you have to tell a Christian to desire the word of God? Because it's part of growth. Because just like any part of life, we don't always want to do what we're supposed to do. In the morning, you're going to find that true. How many of you are going to want to get up and go to work in the morning? The alarm goes off. Oh. Some people say, good morning, Lord. And some people say, good Lord, it's morning. (laughs) Just like kids going to school or eating their vegetables, sometimes... We need a little encouragement, don't we? Sometimes we need that edification. Sometimes we we need that encouragement. Here, Peter's giving a word of instruction saying, look, desire it. Desire it. How do you desire something when you don't desire it? Probably different answers to that question depending on what category of life you're talking about. But I know when it comes to spiritual things, God gave us the formula for desire. Jesus taught his disciples. Remember when he talked about the harvest? We should desire a good harvest. So what did he tell them to do? He said, pray. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest. Right? That he would send forth laborers. No wonder... Everybody that starts praying for laborers, everybody that starts praying for the harvest, everybody that starts praying for a a place or a location or a people, isn't it no surprise that before too long, they themselves feel called to go there? Desire. You know, God is telling us that we should desire His Word. We need to desire that milk. We need to seek it out. We need to run to it. We We need to thirst for it. So that God's word can can find its way and and nourish us as it should, as we need. If we don't desire it, if we don't pray for it, if we don't ask God to help us with this, then we're going to seek nourishment and we're going to try to find sustenance in other things, in other places, things that cannot help us the way the word of God can. But I believe a first century church, I believe a good healthy church is going to serve milk for the spiritually young and then yet strong meat for the spiritually mature. Notice the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, you're not far from there. Hebrews chapter 5. Notice what it says in verse 14. In Hebrews 5 verse 14, the Bible says there, but strong meat... Again, the milk and the meat is both a reference to the Bible. It's a reference to the Word of God. Strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, why is that important? Why do we need strong meat? Well, that verse really tells us a lot about why. Because, you know, as babies grow up, they get to a point where milk no longer satisfies, milk no longer uh, meets the requirements for substance. Milk is no longer enough fuel to supply the energy, the strength to do what has to be done. 
The body needs more than just milk. You know, spiritually speaking, that happens with us. As we grow in Christ, there's a time where we need, a, we need more than, than just the milk of the Word. We get to where we need some meat. Because we need more fuel. We need more information. Uh, we, need, we need more of God's direction in our life. Why? Notice what the Bible says. Meat belongs to those who are of full age. Those that have grown some. Those that, he says, have, by reason of use, they have their senses exercised. So we start becoming more aware of things. We, we start picking up on things. Uh, we start having questions or maybe questions given to us. And we need answers. And isn't it Peter who said that we need to be ready to answer every man? Yes, those answers come from the Word of God. And, and, and the more of the meat of the Word we get into, the better and the more equipped we are to give those answers, not only to our own selves, but also to others. Because, you know, there are times in our life where we have to exercise our senses. We have to do what the Bible says here in order to discern both good and evil. It said to discern both good and evil. That means you have the responsibility to discern both good and evil. That means you have to make a decision. That means you're going to have to apply a label. That means you're going to have to know the difference between good and evil. Now, we live in a world today that says, oh, no, let's not classify. Oh, no, let's not put any lines in between. Let's, let's take away all distinctions. But that's not good. I'm sure when you look in the, in the pantry, I'm sure when you look in the, in the closet, you want to see labels on the different bottles and boxes that you're about to grab. When you're going to, when you're going to cook and make supper, I'm sure you want to know the difference between cornmeal and rat poison. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? And it's the label that does that for us, isn't it? You know, in this world, it is important that you and I know the difference between good and evil. How many of you understand that with no help? We need to understand the difference between good and evil. And if we're to have a proper division between the two, that we need the help of God's Word in order to draw that line accurately. To place that label properly. Now, this world has its own idea of what proper and accurate is. But we don't use their guidelines. We don't use their judgment. Why? Because their senses are not exercised. Their senses are dull. They're not sharp. And they don't use the same viewpoint and perspective that we do when we come from God's Word. They have a totally different standard. Christians are called to represent God in the world. And as such, we need to know not only where the line should be drawn, but we need to know where, where God would have the line to be drawn. We have to be able to discern good and evil. The Bible tells us that. The Bible does tell us that we, that we need to be fruit inspectors. The Bible does say, by their fruit shall you know them. A good tree produces good fruit and an evil tree produces corrupt fruit. But if you can't discern the difference between good and evil, then you're not going to know which is which. And that means you may sit sometimes under the wrong tree and, and partake of the wrong fruit. And I'm afraid today there are many Christians being defiled because they don't know the difference. And they're not able 
by the Word of God to discern good and evil. Now, notice carefully what Peter said. He didn't say good and bad. He said good and evil. And my dear friend, I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't help you see it any clearer if you don't recognize that there's evil in this world at work today. My, how we need clear vision to see that. Where do we get it from? We get it from the Word of God. And this is the reason why discipleship and maturity and, and, and mentoring is so important in the Christian life. We want to help New believers go from the classroom to their conversation. That's a Bible word, meaning their lifestyle, their manner of living. And so we understand that we not only teach by exhortation, which is what we're doing today, but we also teach by example what we're going to be doing tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Someone said your talk talks and your walk talks but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Right? Some of y'all need to write that down and reread it. There's such power in knowing that, our exhortation. Notice that maturity is not measured by one's learning, but it is measured by one's living. And we see that played out in Acts chapter 2 because we don't, we don't just read about the things that these Christians knew. But the Bible says, and it's telling us a story about what they did. And that's why it's so powerful. That's why it's so powerful. Having, having been a pastor over a number of years and, and, and moving around all over the South and pastoring small churches, I'm just amazed at what this small group of people are able to do with such a large number of new believers all at one time. It seems that their systems would have been overwhelmed and broken, but they were not. And the reason I believe they were not, the reason I believe there's such power in their practice is because they were living what they learned. They were practicing what they had preached. They were doing what they said. What a great effort in edifying other people. But not only that, verse 42 tells us that they also made effort to encourage, not just to edify. To edify means to build up and to nurture and, you know, we, we need to help build up and nurture other folks by teaching them the Word of God and mentoring them in the Christian life. But, you know, we also need to encourage one another. And I believe that's the, the, the distinction. <clears throat> the Bible says that there was a continuance in the apostles' doctrine, but then it says, and in fellowship, and in breaking of bread. Where does that come in? Breaking bread together is not a biblical command, but it is a biblical practice. Because what they were doing, on top of giving edification and discipleship and teaching God's Word and the Christian life, they were also encouraging them. We find that this group was going through some very difficult things. We kind of stutter a little bit as we read through that part about them, you know, selling everything and meeting each other's needs. And, you know, wow, they gave to every man. Wow, I don't know about that. Uh, <clears throat> preacher, you know, tithing was hard enough. I don't know. Let's, let's not even go there. Wait a minute. God's not teaching us as believers 
that we can't own anything or we should sell everything and give it to the church. There are occasions maybe for that, but, but in this occasion, they were doing that because some of these new believers had been excommunicated from everything. They, had, they no longer had means of support, and in a culture like that, it means they were life-locked. They were no longer allowed to function in their, their circle of the world. And the church came to the rescue. We in America don't live in a culture like that. So it doesn't require such a practice. Though we may find opportunity to give or to sell and give or to do what God has laid on our heart to do. These people were doing it because they were encouraging these new believers. Some of them who had lost everything, even their family relations. But that's all right, because they were about to experience the power of church family. The power of church family, unlike anything you and I have ever seen. This was encouragement, nothing short. The fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, the praying together. So they had social fellowship. They ate together. Notice they were, they were visiting each other's homes. What were they doing? Was this witnessing soul winning night? No. <laughs> this was discipleship. This was encouragement. They were, they were having church in homes because at this point, the early church had no building of its own. They met in the temple, but that was the organized work of Judaism. And they, did, they didn't control those services. They went there for the teaching of God's word. But there was so much more now that Christ had come. There were, there were new things to teach that the Jews had, had rejected and had not accepted. And so now they are, they are discipling these new believers, and they're doing so by going to all of their homes and meetings, and, and they're trying to get to everybody with the word of God and with encouragement. You know, Christ gives hope in our life, doesn't he? This social fellowship they had by eating together and fellowshipping. But it was also coupled with a spiritual fellowship. Because they put Christ in the center of their communion. And they brought doctrine and prayer into the picture. Wow. You know, for us to give kind words to somebody, that's, that's very good. It's very meaningful. But for us to do that and share Christ with somebody is unmatched. You just can't beat that kind of encouragement. And that's what this early church had. No wonder they were turning their world upside down. No wonder they were growing by leaps and bounds. No wonder that, that, that when people heard about what was going on down there, they wanted to be a part of it. No wonder. The Christian life is not just a matter of believing. It also is about belonging. And that's what they were finding in this New Testament church. They were finding a sense of family and a sense of belonging unlike anything they had ever felt in the temple. And it was contagious. And God was at work. And God has given us, as a church family, this kind of opportunity for our own benefit to belong to a place and serve the Lord here. What a blessing. 
I want you to notice next the effort they made to equip, to equip one another. Now, we can look at these verses, and, and we've already pointed out the words. You see, these people are growing because they're taking steps forward. The first step is in verse 41. They that gladly received his word, if you want to underline or circle that word received, that's salvation. They accepted Christ as their Savior. They believed on the Lord uh, so they could be saved. All right, so they received the word of God. And then it says they were baptized. Step two is baptism. If you were talking to a, a new person in, uh, you know, in, the, in the community, you would want to know first, are you saved? Have you received the Lord as your Savior? Have you accepted Christ? If you died today, would you go to heaven? That's the first questions we would ask them. Why? To understand where they are. And if not, then we want to give them the gospel and help them get saved. We want to invite them to church so they can know the Lord. But once that step is taken, we go to step number two. They were baptized. Baptism is when we take on the identity of Christ. It's like wearing the jersey of your team, supporting the cause, saying, I'm one, right? So those who are baptized are those who are saying, I'm identified as a believer in Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. It's their public profession of faith. In the waters of baptism, they play out a picture of Christ dying on the cross, His burial under the water, and then His resurrection. As they too have the opportunity with a clean slate to live newness of life in Christ. So they take these steps. Steps of Christian service. Equipping others. Why do we equip others? We equip others to be effective in living the Christian life and in serving others. Spiritually, they taught them. Socially, they befriended them. Just as Barnabas befriended Saul when he first came to Christ. Here we see the early church doing the same thing. This first century church, they were good at it. It was more than just a, how you doing on Sunday morning? Good to see you. God bless you. It was a real friendship that they were creating for the purpose of equipping and serving and helping them to grow in Christ so they too could serve. Spiritually, they taught them. Socially, they befriended them. Physically, they met their needs. Some of them had their lives touched and changed through the effort of the local church to help them in their time of difficulty. Emotionally, They encouraged them. They gave them hope through the Word of God and through their own testimony. They gave them hope by meeting that physical need and helping them in their life. God intends for every believer to have a ministry. God expects us to use our gifts, our talents, and our abilities to benefit others. And that's what was happening here. Everybody was involved. Once they had these things underway, they were also involved in the effort of evangelizing the lost. The problem with many of our modern day churches is that we put this one first. And you know, often we're not equipped to evangelize like we should unless we've done these other two things or unless we are doing them. In verse 47, the Bible says, Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church, what? Daily, such as should be saved. Hey, can I show you that this first century church had a different mindset about evangelism than our modern churches today? Because what we think today about evangelism 
is, is this. We think, well, the way to evangelize is I'm going to leave church and I'm going to go down to the restaurant and I'm going to talk to the waiter and I'm going to say, hey, sir, do you attend a Bible believing church? I'd like to invite you to one. Why don't you come join us next Sunday? We'd love to have you. Amen. We'll see you there. That's evangelism. And we're just hoping this guy will come to church and show up and hear the preaching and get saved. We're hoping he'll walk down the aisle and say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. Well, he don't do all that. I don't know what to tell him. But that's, that's, that's not what they were doing. Look at it. Verse 47. What does the Bible say? And the Lord added to the church what? Daily. Not just on Sunday. Daily. Such as should be saved. Let me show you the difference. The difference is, those believers, they weren't going out and saying, hey, sir, you need to come to church so you can hear the message so you can know how to get saved. What they were saying is, sir, can I show you the message? Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I show you what he did for me? Look what the Bible says right here. What a difference. So, man, all over town, daily it was happening. People were hearing the word of God. People were coming to know the Lord. People were sharing their testimony. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. And it was happening. And then all of a sudden you show up on Sunday, and here's these 42 people that got saved during the week. Whoa, what happened? Well, some people would say it like this. God showed up. Yeah, the God in you, right? He showed up in your life, and you went about doing what Christians are supposed to do, and because of that, here they are. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? That, hey, listen, we say it so lightly, but that is some effort. You know what we call it? We call it work. No wonder Paul talked about the work of the ministry. When you go after people and you work with people and, you, and, and you're teaching them and encouraging them and, and trying to help them. Hey, listen, there's a lot of effort that goes into that. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. Unless you know, unless you see the purpose behind it all. What's fun is knowing that one day that guy's going to be in heaven. I don't really care if he gets saved on Sunday morning or if he gets saved on Thursday afternoon. I'm glad he got saved, amen? But I have to admit, after reading about this first century church, it sure would be better if we had some Thursday afternoon conversions and some Wednesday mornings and some Tuesday nights. But that can only happen as you and I go out everywhere using the gifts God's given us and telling folks what what God's done for us and showing them ourselves how to be saved instead of waiting for them to hear it on Sunday. Evangelizing the lost. I heard somebody say one time, God has left us here for a purpose. There are only two things that that we cannot do in heaven. Only two. Two things we cannot do in heaven. We cannot witness to the lost because there are no lost people there. And we cannot sin. 
So which one, which one of those do you think God left us here for? Obviously, to witness to the lost. They also made an effort of exalting the Savior. I don't know about you, but I often feel, I know in my own life, I don't do it enough. To praise Jesus, to praise God for what he's done for me. My, how we need to get better at that. How we need to just thank God more. Notice what the Bible says in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Praising God. Hey, do we praise God on a daily basis? The, all these things I'm talking about are things these people were doing every day. They weren't just doing them one day a week. They were doing them every day. It was part of their lifestyle. They were praising God. You know, we each have a responsibility to worship God, and that includes our praise to Him for all that He does. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40 tells us to love God with all of our heart. That is our worship, and everything else stems from that. Discipleship, fellowship, stewardship, evangelism, worship, ministry, all of this stuff we're talking about. It really comes from our love for the Lord. And you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that when we love God like we should, then we'll do the things we should. But when we love the world and the things of the world, it's because we don't love God like we should. That's the bottom line, isn't it? May God just give us a little checkup this morning and help us to see how important He is in our lives. Let's get back to praising God and being more joyful about what God's done. And let's see what God does through us as that that new kindling, that new fire begins to take place, begins to break loose. Hey, when we love God like we should, oh, how we can evangelize the lost. Oh, how we can equip other believers. Oh, how we can encourage others who need encouragement. Oh, how we can edify and build folks up in their faith using the Word of God when we love God like we should. Amen. Hey, you know why the early church, you know why they're so good? Because they just put all this into practice. As simple as it sounds, we all know that it's sometimes difficult to do. But let's ask God to help us to roll up our sleeves this morning and get into the difficulty. Let's start with our love for God. Let's bring that back to where it ought to be. Let's say, God, help us to love you like we should so that from that we can serve you like we should. You know, if you're wondering if, it, if it's worth it, of course it is. That's what got you where you are. And you know, there's others who need to be brought on their way as well. And they're dependent, their progress is dependent on your, your worship being what it ought to be. Your love being what it ought to be. And so let's pray. Let's ask God to help our church start to look like this first century church. Lord, work in us so that you can work through us. Lord, empower us to be everything that you want us to be. Oh, that's my prayer. I trust that's your prayer as well. 
as we begin this week. Let's bow together and ask God to help us that we might take on the attributes of this first century church. Lord, thank you so much for the word of God and for the power of the truth in its pages. Lord, I pray you'd use it to inspire us today, to strengthen us today. Stir our hearts and show us, Lord, what what we can do when we love you like we should. Oh, how we pray, Lord, that you'll just start that work in our hearts. Rekindle that flame, that love, that fire in us. So that through us, Lord, you can flow in a world that needs you so much today. May they see Jesus in us is our prayer. Amen. Thank you so much. You can stand with me with your head bowed and our eyes closed. We're going to begin this invitation time. And I'm just going to ask you where you are. If you'd like to come forward, you may. Would you take a moment and ask God to help you? Would you take a moment and ask the Lord to just rekindle that, that love for the Lord that's in your heart today? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not sure heaven's your home, would you come and let us take a Bible and show you how to be saved today? Hey, that's what church is all about. This is our business. We'd like to take care of some of that this morning. If you're here and you need help with that, come and let us take the Bible and show you how. Maybe you're here today and you know of someone. God's put them on your heart. Somebody you want to witness to. Somebody you want to encourage. Somebody you want to help. Oh, there's people like that all around us. Would you slip forward today and just take a moment for them, lift their name up to the Lord, ask God to help you. Help them. Maybe you just want to slip out and pray for our church. Pray for our missionaries. The spiritual work that we try to do. Ask God to bless it and help it to use it in the lives of others that they too might be encouraged and edified. We want to bathe all that we do in prayer and ask God to help us as we do. We'll play through just one other verse. There's time for you. There's a decision God wants you to make. Why don't you take care of that today?